Nice to see you all here this morning. Uh, we're carrying on kind of like part two of our mini-series within our series called The 100-Year Vision. Um, and so what I want to do now is we're going to show video, but we're having quite a few technical glitches with the video showing, which means there's a chance that the video would be blurry, but the audio will come through. How much grace do you guys have for audio? Is, is that okay? Callum's got a lot. Great, great. Eugene's got a little? No, he's got a lot. Okay, good. So this video, we're going to do things a little bit different this morning. We're going to try and watch this video. Um, there it is. Uh, we're going to try and watch this video. I'm going to preach for a shorter period of time, probably about 20 minutes, and then I'm going to call Eugene up, who's going to uh, just share a few things after me. Um, is Zeka Scott, he's uh, uh, part of the kind of restored family of churches and uh, him and his wife um, and one other person have gone to a place called Rancho Manga, I think it is, or Chuchamanga or something like that. Uh, you'll hear him pronounce it, but um, it started two weeks ago. Um, and part of the restored family of churches, so just thought it would be good to hear a little bit of this story, and then we'll get into the second part of uh, the 100-year vision, and then we'll hear. Good morning, Harbor City. So good to be with you guys this morning. My name is Scott. I'm with Restored. Um, Jamie and Lisa had asked me to share a little bit about uh, my experience with church planning, and um, yeah, I've been a part of a church plant since the beginning. Um, not because I was a part of the pre-launch team or the core team that started the church. Um, I was actually saved through the church plan, my wife and I. So we actually attended a pre-launch gathering and we were just really attracted to the authenticity and vulnerability of the community. Us back each and every week. And through that, we just got inundated with the gospel and um, the work of Jesus and how what he did on our behalf, um, not out of anything that we've earned, but because he loves us. And that just continued to penetrate um, our hearts. It um, really transformed like our marriage, transformed our relationships, the way we viewed parenting, um, really all aspects of our lives. And and we're not perfect by any stretch, but um, he, he has done a work in us. And um, through that, uh, restored and being a part of that community and that culture, um, we've experienced what it looks like to um, really live out the value of multiplication. Um, we were able to witness uh, the restored South Bay plant be sent out. Um, we were able to witness the restored LA plant be sent out. We were able to see the restored Temecula plant sent out. And so we saw firsthand just kind of how um, how God has used his people and given people like really a heart for the communities that they've been sent out to. Um, and never in my life would I have ever thought that I would be the next one to plant a church um, out of Restored. So um, a little bit about that story. My wife um, and I sold our house a little over a year ago in San Diego. And through that, we had every intention to move to San Diego. Um, it was just our time to sell that house. So um, again, purchased a house in San Diego. And right after we sold the house, we just both started to feel this like thought of moving back home to our hometown, um, which is Ranch Cucamonga. It's about 
nearly two hours, two hour drive north of San Diego, uh, about 40 minute drive uh, east of Los Angeles. And so we started to just pray about that and think about it and honestly seek help from leadership and outside counsel just to kind of discern um, what this would look like. And um, that desire um, and the thought of going back started to become more and more real. Um, we began to pray about it more and more. And as I um, processed stuff on my own, um, we had we just didn't, it didn't look, feel like we were going to join um, another church community. We didn't feel called to that up here. Not that any of the churches were bad or anything like that, but um, we just experienced something so unique about the community in San Diego that we were a part of and um, the value of family and multiplication and discipleship. And so those, those core values really took root in us. And we wanted to bring back um, what we experienced in San Diego and we wanted to bring it back to our hometown. And so my thought, you know, I'm just led gospel community groups and I thought, why don't we just start a small community group out of our house and see what happens. And the team at Restore was very supportive of that. And, um, you know, we started to be equipped by them a little bit more for what it would look like to um, start a group. Um, but as we prayed about it and thought about it, um, that group, like the thought of a small group, um, when I would pray about it, honestly, would be, I'd feel comfortable with that because it was something that I knew now. Um, I didn't feel crazy comfortable leading a small group initially, but like there was something that was a little bit more familiar to me now. And I would pray about that. I pray about the people. I pray about the community and um, how we would run the group, all, all sorts of things. But each and every time I would pray about it, God would press on, in on me and just say, church plant. Like it's not, it's not just a small group. It's a plant and, and I want to plant the church. Um, and that was scary to me. It was terrifying, honestly. Like I, I just, like I would get really emotional about it. Um, I would cry, but when I sat in those feelings and that fear, I would feel super close to God in it. And um, like God doesn't always tell us like we're gonna do easy things. Um, but what I've learned and what I felt like is he is gonna be close to us. And that was what I felt in those moments. And he's gonna be with us in it. And God things, I really began to, um, kind of think of things differently. Like if God wants to plant a church, you know, it's not going to be like, I'm not going to plant this church. It's not all on me. It's, it's what he's going to do through um, my wife and I. Um, it's still a crazy thing, but what an honor to be able to partner with him in it. Uh, and um, as I sit with you guys right now, um, we've started um, a group at our house, which is how we are starting to plant a group. And um, we've gone two Sundays now where we are walking, um, people through the, the story of God, which is kind of just a high level view of, uh, the Bible and how all the books of the Bible are tied together in one beautiful story of God's pursuit of his people and how he had to send a rescuer. And, um, it's very clear, like the curriculum that we've gotten and, the first two weeks have been really, 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 really great and cool to see um, the people that have shown up. We've had about 12 people each time um, 
and some and kids as well. And um, yeah, it's going well. There's there's difficulty in it. There's um, there's my own anxiety in it. My own thoughts constantly of feeling inadequate and not capable of doing this. But uh, to meet me in that, and as I reflect on things, I I look through this whole process of moving, um, and. I see his footprint on the whole thing. And so um, exactly what Jamie and Lisa are preaching on from a church plant standpoint, but I hope that encourages you guys in some form or fashion that um, as you begin to look at, you know, um, communities that you've come, that you've been a part of, that you um, have moved from, um, you know, just open yourselves up. You know, not everybody's going to go plant a church and not God's not calling everybody to do that. But um, I think the the heart posture to be able to accept God's call on your life, um, it will be an amazing journey that um, as you do that, um, I, I believe like I've experienced um, work that he can do um, through that. And my life now from 10 years ago, um, this was not my plan. Uh, this it wasn't my plan to start a church, but um, he's he had different plans, and um, I'll move move in it. So uh, I hope that encourages you guys in some way. Um, it's a it's a messy story. It's not the cleanest. Uh, I probably didn't present it in the greatest way, but um, we, we love you. Uh, even though we haven't met many of you, um, just being able to talk to Jamie and Lisa and get some time with them. Um, you know, you guys have a beautiful community there and I hope you continue to grow um, in your relationship with each other and your relationship with Jesus and just know that you have a family on the other side of the world um, that loves you very much. So so Scott and Ashley, uh, as you said, two weeks ago, uh, they've had two Sundays of their church plant. Can we pray for them? Uh, just take a moment and then I'll explain what we're doing this morning. Scott and Ashley and the community of Rancho Cucamonga and just thank you for just their courage, their obedience uh, to, to obey the call that they feel you have on their life and uh, go and love the community that they grew up in and uh, Lord, we just pray for your hand to be upon them as, as they start a um, group in their home, as they start a church, as people start coming of your power, your Lord. So I pray, Lord, that you would send people their way. I pray, Lord, that you would provide for all of their needs. Um, I pray, Lord, that broken, hurting people in their community, people who do not know you would come to, to their community and they would find you, Jesus, uh, in Jesus' name. Yeah. And uh, we'll hear a bit from Eugene just now. But uh, because we wanna talk a little bit about church planting this morning, which I know is is an interesting topic, probably for all of us, and probably ninety uh, percent of us will be like, um, but at some point in in the Ezra and Nehemiah narrative, as we go through it, I think this is a topic that we have to engage with, um, and and so kind of why we've shown the video and um, and what I want to talk about this morning. I'm not going to be too long. What I'm going to try and do in my sermon is motivate for why I think we should plant churches and why it's important. Um, and then we'll hear from Eugene. Um, but I don't know if any of you have read, uh, it's a business book, 
And it's by a guy called Yvonne Schoenard. And Yvonne Schoenard was the founder of an outdoor brand, Patagonia. Um, so in South Africa, we haven't really heard of Patagonia uh, too much because it's just never been brought into the country. Um, but Patagonia, like overseas in both the US and Europe, is a really big brand. A whole bunch of things, um, but very environmentally conscious. And um, uh, one of their most famous stints was uh, on Black Friday, they, they did a full page the New York Times full-page ad uh, telling New York not to buy their jacket on Black Friday uh, and things like that. But Yvonne Schoenard, uh, he always wanted to build a company that would help alleviate environmental problems. And in this book, he tells about getting to a point in his business where they were building this thing and it was going well and Patagonia was, was really starting to make waves and someone came to him, you need to really hard, grow the company to this point and when you get it to this point, in five years time, you'll be able to sell it for $100 million. Um, and when you sell it for $100 million, just take a whole bunch of that and put it into a fund and then spend the rest of your life using that fund to work on your environmental projects. And he said he went home feeling really uneasy about this um, as he was, was thinking about it and he was like, like crazy for five years and then uh, hand over this to is he wanted to build a company that for a long period of time, would always contribute and uh, make a difference. Um, and he said in that point, he realized this thing. He said, if you want to build a company that lasts for 100 years, you have to build very differently than if you want to build a company that you want to sell in five. And, uh, and he said, if, you wanted, if he wanted to build a company that was going to be around and still had the values and the ethos that they had hoped for in 100 years' time, he had to completely rethink how they were doing business uh, because the rate at which they were doing business was just so chaotic, so manic, so crazy. And so, so what he began to do was just completely change his business. He came into to work and he was like, guys, this is crazy. We are working way too hard. Um, and, and he just started, and this was a, a long time ago. Now it's like pretty commonplace. But like built pre preschools in their, uh, in their offices, built like a whole bunch of things. He gave us... Uh, Staff, when the surf was going wild, they could leave the office and go and surf, which in Durban I think some people would like. Like, he just changed the whole ethos of the company and just said, we want to be around in 100 years' time, and so we need to think differently. We can't have the same staff turnover. We can't have the same craziness. We, we need people around for longer periods of time. We need people to enjoy their jobs, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what I enjoyed about that, I've really, I really enjoyed that part of the book because it made me think about this fact is that if we want to build something that's going to be around in 100 years' time, or if we want to see a city changed in 100 years' time, how do we need to change our perspective on what we are doing now? 
And that is the part that I found so interesting about the Ezra and Nehemiah narrative, is that often we read Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is a way more popular book uh, than Ezra. It's, it's way more popular. Uh, people preach on it. Uh, probably if you've uh, grown up in the church world, I don't know how many of us have heard anyone preach through the book of Ezra, but we've probably heard people preach through Nehemiah or preach on different topics of Nehemiah a, a few times, and that's because Nehemiah is so popular. And in Nehemiah, you get a snapshot, the, the, the part that everyone loves. You get the snapshot of the story. You just get one little part of the story, and you see a wall being built in 52 days. And we love that part of the story. Built in 52 days, people came together, everyone's doing their thing. You know, you've got everyone coming out, playing their part, uh, which is the part is like preachers that you really, because, you know, we're a volunteer kind of organization. So we just love preaching on that. Everyone, play your part, play your part, play your part. 52 days, boom, we've done this thing, crushed it. Like, we love the Nehemiah story because it's rapid, because everyone's involved. Um, It just sounds, it preaches so great. And we all love that. Like, hey, guys, Durban's going to be a great city next year. And we're like, yes. Finally, Durban, we, you know, the flood damage is going to be repaired. Everything's going to be on track. Guys, this is amazing. Durban's going to be a great city uh, next year. We can buy into that. If someone came to us and said, hey, guys, Durban's going to be a great city in 100 years' time, we were like, oh, like, don't know if I want to buy into that because I have to live through this many years now. Um, But the part that I like about the Ezra and Nehemiah story, when we don't just read it in a snapshot, when we read it from the beginning, from Ezra 1 all the way to Nehemiah, the end of Nehemiah, Nehemiah 13, the part that I I love about it is that it is a 100-year story. It's not a 52-day story. It's a hundred-year story. It's a multi-generational story. It's a story of people doing different things at different times. It's a a vision that is a hundred-year vision, not a 52-day vision, not a next-year vision, not a, as Yvonne Schoenard was told, a five-year vision. It's a long, long long-term vision. And what we learn about uh, in the Ezra and Nehemiah story is for a people who are broken, a people who have had their culture smashed, a people who have seen their city destroyed, a people who have gone through so much, if you want to rebuild a people, it's not going to take one generation. It's a multi-generational project. It's a hundred-year project. In fact, it's longer than a hundred years. but we get a snapshot in the Ezra and Nehemiah story about this 100-year process. It takes a long time to get to all work together, get people to build a wall in 52 days, to get this rapid kind of um, um, movement within the kind of civic structures of society, to get all of this going on to place. Um, And last week, we talked about this idea of pace, which is kind of coming to grips with the understanding of this, that uh, there's a certain pace to 
to this narrative that reminds us that this is a long-term project, that even in our own lives, personal transformation is a long-term project. I mean, I wonder how many of us would like, I I don't know if uh, you ever feel like that, you're like, yo, I've been a Christian for like 20 years, like, can I be more like Jesus? Like, can't I have just have finished this discipleship process? Can't I be there already? Um, and I think we all wish that. Um, had to come to us one day and reveal all of our sins all in one go. Like, we'd be crushed. We'd be absolutely crushed if every part of our character was exposed in one moment, but Jesus in his own grace takes a lifetime to transform us, to become more like Jesus. This discipleship process is a slow, liberate process of at work in our lives, changing us to become like Jesus. Kind of remember that sermon, Worship Before Walls, and and. The idea here is that in this long narrative, in this long story of Israel and Nehemiah, there's like three generations of of specific kind of activity that takes place. We read in Ezra chapter one, that the commission on Zerubbabel and the people coming back is to go and rebuild the temple. And that is the first kind of generation of activity. They come to rebuild the temple, get sent back. And he has come as a master theologian, as a person who is a master in the law of God, as a person who would know the Old Testament that they would have had at at that point, who would have known it probably off by heart. He comes back to teach the people, and he is a teacher. That's what he does. He's he's not a a civic leader in in the same way that Nehemiah is. He's a teacher. He's a theologian. He's in the temple. He's preaching. He's helping people understand the Word of God. He comes to transform the morality and the, the, the understanding that people have of God's ways. He comes and institutes liturgy. He begins to teach them uh, as they read the scriptures and they learn about all the different festivals that uh, uh, they would celebrate. And then they would begin to reinstitute those festivals in the kind of yearly liturgical life of God's people. And then Nehemiah comes, and Nehemiah's a governor. He's a civic leader. He's playing a civic role uh, in, in uh, Persia of, of the time. Uh, he's, he's playing a civic role, and he comes back to build the walls. And he doesn't just build the walls. He kind of like reinstitutes some of the tax system. He, uh, uh, he just plays a whole bunch of different civic roles, and he becomes the governor of, of Israel. Um, so he plays a different role read it, is that the first thing, the kind of thing that catalyzes the transformation of of God's people, this hundred-year vision, the thing that catalyzes this process of change is the building of the temple. They build the temple first. And uh, we would have heard this in a few sermons back, but the prophets are so about this, about building the temple first. Because what happens is the people come back 
commissioned to build the temple, and they stop building their own houses, which obviously is like a logical thing. You know, you go to a place, you don't have a house, you're like, well, I need a house, let's build a house. So they stop building their own houses. The prophets get up and they're like, yo, what are you guys doing? You're building your houses, look, they look so great, but God's house is in ruins. And they just start rebuking the people, which seems crazy right now, which was them building the temple and reestablishing their identity. The, the identity of an Israelite was founded on this idea that they were God's people. God chose Abraham. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God led Moses and a group of people out of Egypt. Their identity was centered on the fact that they were the people of God. And what happens is the prophets are urging them to come back to their identity as the people of God. And the way that they do that is that they need to build the temple. They need to build temple. And the temple becomes the catalyst for their transformation as a broken people into a people that is, is not only do they find this new identity as the, the people of God, but um, the word Jew, this, this, is how, uh, this is how big this identity thing is was used of the post-exile people. So the people that come back and they find their identity, they find their identity as Jews, they find it post-exile. They're rebuilding uh, their identity through the temple they, and they now have a name for it. That's gonna become important now, I'll tell you why. But they now have a name for it. They've started to rebuild their, their before that they were just Israelites. But now they have this new identity that's formed as the temple is rebuilt and they begin to center their post-exile life, their, their rebuilding of their, themselves and their society around God. We also see at that point, uh, as, as they come back, is the first emergence of synagogues. There was never a synagogue exile invention, which was like, how are we going to teach people uh, about God and his ways all around identity that we have as God's people? So they begin to plant synagogues, kind of different spaces where people can gather, where people can hear the, where people can find new identity. What's interesting, people, his uh, disciples and all gather and uh, we know that, um, you know, it grows of 120 uh, at Pentecost and 3,000 people get baptized uh, at Pentecost and the church grew to 5,000 and, and we, we see people gathering together. But what you, when you read Acts, what you see is God's people link onto this idea. The Christians link onto this idea. They now, they meet at the temple until they get persecuted and have to leave. And then they first, when, when Paul and, and Barnabas and the guys go into towns, what they first do, they go to the synagogues. They, they 
in these kind of spaces until it gets to such a tension point. The, the, the differentiation of Jesus becomes so distinct that they plant churches in all the different spaces that they go. Is they also get a name, get the name Christians. What was first labeled to them as outsiders becomes an identity, a way of understanding who they are as followers of Jesus. We are Christians. Churches become catalytic in the formation, community, in the formation of identity, in the transformation of as churches get planted and planted and planted all over, they become not tr just transformative of people, they become transformative of societies. What we learn in the Ezra and Nehemiah is that these communities, these spaces of communities, what we would now say as the church, are transformative, are catalytic spaces for transformation. Transformation of people's lives, for the building of community, for the transformation of people's identities, and ultimately, over a long period of time, the transformation of societies. We believe it is God's way of bringing the message, bringing identity, and ultimately bringing his kingdom to earth, onto earth, to bring about ultimately transformation. Church planting is catalytic in that process. It's like step one in the process of change. Um, I was reading an interesting thing in uh, just before World War I, in, in the US and uh, on everything. Um, but they've, they've got data on, well, they've just got a lot of information on churches and church organizations on the 30 to 50 year period before World War I. And in that period, people were moving into more kind of like urbanized spaces um, and the Protestant kind of like church organizations had this idea that they would start a new church for every 350 people that moved into a city. So every time the city grew by 350 people, they would start another church from one. So as the city would expand, once it got to a five kilometer point, they would start another church. And their idea was that most people would walk two and a half kilometers to to a church in the days, like this is before cars, you know, so everyone's walking, and they were like, well, you know, there's no, the only transport system is two and a half Ks, so how far do you need? And they were like, well, every five Ks, we'll just keep starting these churches. Um, um, and what they saw is this, is they saw rise within urban spaces of people who believed that they were Christians from 16% to 51% in that period of time. Rapid increase of the faith of people um, 
being part of a church of people giving their lives to Jesus, they saw this rapid increase. Then World War I happened, things started to change in people's mindsets, different mission organizations and that started being competitive, and so the church planting just went like way down. Uh, And that 51% in US cities just started going down and down and down year after year to a point where about 20 years ago, New York was 0.8% churched. At one point, average US city being 51%, all the way down to one of them being 0.8, and a lot of the, the numbers very, very, very low. And what the writer says is like, the church planting becomes one of the key catalysts to true, genuine change and people being part of communities that were transformative. A guy called Robert Woodbury studied kind of spaces, um, but one of the areas he studied is emerging democracies, and he wanted to see, there's an interesting article, in his article he, he says this, that Protestant conversionary Christians were more, um, more of an impact on strengthening emerging democracies than any kind of non-faith-based NPO or other kind of projects. So the best way to strengthen democracy essentially was to plant churches and convert people to Christianity was better than any other method um, that they... That's obvious. Like... We genuinely believe that, as Christians, we genuinely believe that our hearts need to be transformed by the gospel of Christ. And so it just to be changed. And that the gospel is the way, God's method for transforming people's hearts. So if we wanted to see a transformed space, it makes sense that one of the best way to do that is to bring the gospel, which brings about transformation. If we have a five-year vision, we have a five-year vision, probably church planting would be low on our list. City in five years' time, probably the last things that we would focus on. We'd go, economy fixed, let's sort out South Africa's absolute messed up, like, let's, let's, you know, let's sort out some of these really big ticket items, thought about changing a city in five years' time. We would focus on all these glaringly big and obvious problems, who is literally changing the world to bring about the kingdom Onto earth, a group of 12 people and 120 people in an upper room across the world gathering together to hear the gospel. My suggestion is this, is that we should take church, church planting really seriously because it is God's catalyst to bring about kingdom transformation. Eugene, to come up. Uh, Eugene is a uh, 
uh, a pastoral intern, and Eugene's desire is to plant a church. And so he is part of staff as uh, hopefully in the process, learning some things um, that, that will help him do that. But I've asked Eugene just to share a little bit of his desire that we can hear his heart. Um, and as, as we hear his heart, we as a church partner with him in something that we believe is catalytic. Thanks, James. Morning, church. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, as Jamie has said, I'm part of the intern- internship, uh, interning with Tabani as well. I have a great desire to plant a church in Dasanuk. Uh, now, Dasanuk is a township uh, similar to most of the townships in South Africa. Uh, low income, a uh, lot of substance abuse, uh, violence, um, not so well family structured. Um, and um, I moved into Dasanuk to be an educator in the community. And as I was doing that, amazingly, God just gave me a desire first to, um, to care for the students to go a little bit of an extra mile. Uh, I saw the need for the unfortunate students that were not so academically inclined. I left out of the whole system. So then we, not we, I came up with Sequoia Group. Sequoia Group was then an, an extramural activity to, um, to cater for those students. I taught them drama, music, and visual art. Uh, some of uh, the friends that were here at church a while back, uh, they helped me put this art competition for the school. Uh, they donated a few, um, uh, Rains and then that became successful. We ran, we ran the whole art competition. It was big, spectacular, and the kids really enjoy them. And uh, we will have these rehearsals like on Tuesdays and 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 run them. And 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 it got to a point where we decided that we will open up a little bit with the students just to share some of their struggles in the community. We, like, this is one problem, just trying to like help them reconnect with the school because they were kind of like rejecting the school um, in a way because uh, they're like, why are we at school? Because, we, well, we're not clever. We're not like, you know, we are the, the unseen in the school, and the teachers have that, had that mentality as well, like, ah, oh, damn, oh, no, like, when they go into their classroom. So it was like, they have respect for themselves. I'll, I'll get to a point where I'm sharing this little bit of a story. Um, and then we then, like, had these discussions. They, be, they began to open up a little bit. And then as they did, um, in those moments that God spoke to me in a way or like in that moment I had like this 
for them. Like, it, it just grew deeper. I was like, we are taking this problem one level, like trying to provide an extramural activity for them to like regain their confidence in, in, in being at school and, and all of that. But actually the problem was deeper than that. Um, it, it's also stemmed from the community and some of the struggles. And these were bigger and beyond what I could help them with. And those in those, through those conversations, um, they also led to things like, why do you do what you do? Why you are you different? Why are you not like the rest of the educators? It's like, all my life, as far as I can remember, since 2003, I gave my life to God. And ever since I did that, um, God has been with me ever since. I've never felt alone or lonely. And God gave me the courage while being in Dasanuk to dream and have different dreams. And also, it's the reason why I'm back here at the school, to help and be an educator. And through those dialogues, now I began to engage and had a desire to like, well, who's Jesus? Like, I'm struggling with this. Can Jesus help me with this? Like, you know, it, it was just like so random and it got so open. Like, I started to experiment with this drug and drug, blah, 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 blah. Can you pray for me? Say, I was like, yeah, sure. Uh, I'll pray for you. And we began the walk a little bit. Um, so part of why I'm sharing the story, it all stems out of the story. God moved my heart internally, and I had compassion for these um, kids and realized that, like, I cannot help them, but Jesus can. And it's not only, like, but what Jesus could do is far bigger and greater. Fast forward a little bit, my job came to an end last year, and guess what? All of the chapter is gone. Probably no one remembers me from the school. That's the reality, it's a sad reality. It's over a year now, I'm sure they've moved on and catch up with their lives. But, unfortunately, what could be even much more rewarding is if I go, I saw like 30 kids being saved out of that whole initiative of being at Jesus, other than going like, yeah, we did it, but we're not sure. So ever since then, I've had it in my calendar at 1447 to pray for Dasnook. Every time I have this alarm that goes on, to remind me of that connection and of those students that I was able to connect with like God, won't you prepare them for what you are willing to do in the near future? Wherever they are, won't you shine your lights? Do those dialogues and conversations and um, being in that space in the community from a teacher's perspective and having that influence. Won't you prepare their hearts for what you're willing to do next through me in Dasanuk and for that community? So I've been just going and going and going. Uh, with this prayer for over a year now, every time in 1447. I know it's a random time. <laughs> it's a random time, uh, but I won't dwell in that. But yeah, so that's what I've been praying into because of this desire. Um, what's really interesting as well is like in Matthew 9, 36 to 37, uh, it reads, when... Jesus. Uh, when Jesus saw the multitude, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. 37. 
said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Just to sum up my experience in Dustin as a teacher and to what God is doing to me and is willing to do next in my life, I feel those words resonate deeply in me and in a way God has been convicting me of them that when he, Jesus, saw them, he was moved with compassion. But it doesn't only stop there, it goes further. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Because it doesn't come from our own strength, but it comes from I I think it would be so great if some of us decided to pray for Eugene. Not sure when it will happen, maybe in two years, three years, he'll go and plant a, a church in, in Dasanak. But it would be really great if when those our prayers have been with him, our support. Uh, maybe some of you want to financially support that process and this internship and get that. Like, it would be great just to think about how we can support long-term. Eugene, I believe in church planting, and I believe long-term, it's a way God builds his kingdom. Here. 70s Protestants kind of, idea of a church for every 350 people. We would need about 11 and a half thousand churches in Durban. Just one township within Durban. You would need about a minimum of three and a half thousand churches there. It's a lot of churches. And there are churches around here, and you often hear it, you're like, Whenever someone wants to plant a church in Durban, people are like, but aren't there so many churches? You know, like, there's we're one year and there's one down the road and there's Glenwood Community Church there. And, you know, you look and you go, like, there's so many churches. But if you just had to go by the math of that, of the one for every 350, change how we think about how many churches would need within our city to reach it are needed, to reach Durban. I don't know how many churches there are because it's hard to track it in Durban. There's formal and informal churches. It's like, it's hard to track the numbers, but a thousand marks in our city. If we want to see the kingdom of God come, heaven come to earth, sending people out to plant churches all throughout world. Can I pray for us? Ezra, Nehemiah's story. Thank you for a people that are changed, that are transformed, people that have a new identity, that build communities around you. In that process, you bring about our own lives, seeking transformation. We are hoping for transformation in South Africa, hoping for change. Lord, church, Lord, that you would send church plants out, that you would stir our hearts, that you would ignite us on churches, Lord. I think of, of, think of Scott who, who sold his house and uh, 
was just going to buy another one in San Diego, but then you began to stir him to go back to the community that he grew up in, begin to speak to some of us in this room, even as you spoke to Eugene, and begin to stir our hearts um, for reaching different communities uh, around our country. Um, And in that process, stir our hearts to be involved for to even if you call us to do that, to start churches in Jesus' name, Lord. We thank you how a group of 12 people, 72, 120, 3,000, 5,000, just the world. Lord, a group of 30 people here, hundreds, thousands of people gathered in churches this morning around Durban how you can use that group of people in building community, shaping identity around Christ, changing our life, transforming society because your kingdom comes. We pray, Lord, that you would do that in Jesus' name. While Jamie was preaching and, you know, Huge was sharing his heart with us, it resonate. Um, it's uh, Romans 5, it's peace with God through faith. And um, it just touches on, on hope a bit at the end. Um, it says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And I think that last section of, and hope does not put us to shame. Where is our hope? Like where is our hope for the city? And and as a process that we've been learning, like where we place our hope, when we place our hope in Christ and the gospel, this hope is not gonna put us to shame. And in each one of our lives, like where you are placing your hope, there are some things where we place our hope that will put us to shame. <laughs> um, but when we place our hope, not be put to shame. And I think as Jamie was saying, like a hundred year vision, it changes the equation, changes how we invest resources. Eternity changes the equation. <laughs> And I think um, this is the type of hope that we have. It's a hope that dramatically changes the equation. And I just, I wanted to give you scripture to walk out into the week as well with the confidence that your hope. Cool, that's us for the day. (laughs) Um, Go out, enjoy your Sunday, enjoy time with friends and family. There is coffee out at the back there.